Hey, Real Talkers, you know this show is all about connecting with the movers and the shakers, right? Understanding how they got to where they are, what makes them tick, what hurdles did they overcome, what's their future outlook, and how does that apply to us? We think that you're going to enjoy this special edition of the Real Talk Roundtable as we celebrate three of Edify Edmonton's top 40 under 40. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Well, thanks for joining us on a very special edition of the show. Today we're celebrating Edmonton's movers and shakers, the up-and-comers, the rising stars, those that have established themselves early in their career and have cracked the list. That's right. Today we meet three of Edmonton's top 40 under 40, as recognized by Edify Magazine. It's an annual tradition for us. We're going to pick the brains of three people who have excelled in their craft to the point of rising to positions of leadership before their 40th birthdays. We're going to find out what makes them tick, what inspires them, some of the hurdles they've overcome, and quite frankly, what it feels like to be honored in Edify in such a special way. This episode of Real Talk is presented by our friends at Rello, and they're putting out a call to those of you that are sick of cubicle life. You've been thinking about starting a new career. Hey, timely for a show like today's. What about being your own boss, running a thriving business, and leaving cubicle life behind? If you want all that plus unlimited earning potential, a career in real estate could be your perfect match. You can get started today by enrolling with Rello. Rello's Alberta's top real estate school, and here's the deal. They support you every step of the way from studying for your exam to getting your license and it doesn't stop there either plus with Rello that's R-E-L-O you can study 100% online on your own schedule and if this is the tipping point Here's the deal. A special benefit for Real Talkers. You can save 20% off any Rello course right now with the code REALTALK. All one word, that's REALTALK at Rello.ca. The newest issue of Edify is on stands in Edmonton and surrounding areas. And the annual tradition continues for the 15th year as Edify recognizes Edmonton's top 40 under 40. We're thrilled to have three of them joining us in studio this morning, including Shaliza Kluga. She's the senior legal counsel for Enbridge, a lawyer practicing in the area of oil and gas law for more than a decade a born and raised Edmontonian, now raising her own family in Alberta's capital city as well. She takes great pride in volunteer work, which includes and focuses on removing barriers of inequity that prevent our brightest citizens from reaching their true potential. Welcome to Real Talk. It's nice to have you here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, being surrounded by individuals that are so talented, the innovation in Alberta is incredible. And the introduction that you gave is is great. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, I'm going to share with people in just a second what's been going on in our green room for like the last 20 minutes. I love when people meet for the first time, but you're already in a way uh, connected to one another, right? Through the pages of this magazine. And it's been really neat to see these new friendships form over 20 minutes. I can't wait to see by the end of the hour. Sonny Sakon and I have known each other for a long time, and I'm really proud of you, Sonny, to okay. see you on this list. You're the chief revenue officer at Free Play for Kids, uh, a born and raised Edmonton 
Newtonian as well. You've spent a ton of time uh, throughout your career in local institutions. People know you as, uh, in, in many circumstances, the first face they would see in the straw stirring the drink at, at retail mogul Henry Singer. Uh, you sit on the board of the iconic Brick Invitational Tournament, probably the most famous minor hockey tournament in the world. Uh, a local Movember legend with the legendary group North of Lipsky, uh, and now is somebody fighting to help shine light on the incredible work that Free Play for Kids is doing to serve the community at large. Congratulations on being here. Thanks, Ryan, uh, and thank you for having me. It's it's awesome to sit around the table with uh, movers and shakers like everyone here. Uh, it's also you know a period of great reflection, and you measure yourself against the work everyone's doing, but. Uh, really motivated and just excited to be here. Love it. So we go from the guy that worked in retail for a long time at, at an iconic Alberta institution, a fashion institution, Henry Singer, to, uh, well, a consumer behavior expert and, and one of Alberta's, uh, essentially, I think, uh, when, when people want to understand what's happening in retail, they go to Heather Thompson, the executive director at the Alberta School of Business, University of Alberta's Center for Cities and Communities. Um, in that role, Heather has the opportunity to work firsthand with businesses, community organizations, and municipalities to ensure that local economies are thriving. You've been on the show before helping us understand what's happening with retail trends. Mm -hmm. It's nice to have you back here in this context. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be back here for in this particular context. I think, you know, obviously we're going to talk about the economy, I'm sure, during this, but yeah, it's really nice. And I'm just so honored to be part of this conversation. It was great to see uh, you and Shaliza. I had to ask, actually, after you had been talking for about 15 minutes mm -hmm. uh, in our lounge, I said, do you, do you guys know each other from before? Because the, the two of you and then Sonny joined the crew. You just clicked right away. There, there's something about this. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a club. I feel like, yeah, it feels like a, a great people club. So, yeah, I'm really excited. And I think we, Shaliza and I actually have the exact same age of children. Oh. Um, so that was, I mean, like commiseration, bonding, like all the things. <laughs> so it was easy. Shaliza, <laughs> how are you balancing that? Like senior legal counsel at Enbridge is obviously a huge job, a huge role. Um, and uh, obviously, uh, I can tell by your face, you're very proud of that as you should be. But I can tell that you're equally or maybe even more proud about being a mom. How do you balance that young? kids and a huge career role great question and, and it's not unique to just me there are tens of thousands of individuals out there doing the same thing and it's inspiring and really it's all about kind of understanding where your priorities are and balancing those balls which ball is going to be in the air and sometimes a ball will drop or, or you'll you know try and, and catch it at a, at a different time but it's just what, what is the priority and, and what is that phase in your life? And right now, both Heather and I have very young children. So we're focusing a lot of our efforts in making sure that they have the upbringing, that they have the opportunities that we were given by mm. our families and by our community. And so that's, that's the focus right now. Yeah, does that resonate with you? Absolutely. I think I didn't expect the balance to be as hard as it is, if I'm, if I'm being totally honest. And so when, as soon as you meet another parent, I think we're all parents, right? Yeah, all it, four it, of us. Yeah, so that's another club. Um, and it, it's, I think it, it's nice to see the support and it's actually really nice to work with people who, are, who also understand the challenges because it's, it was way harder than I was expecting. And I, I think I couldn't do this, I couldn't do any of the work without a serious support system. 
um, one that just society is not going to give me inherently. Mm. And so it's between, you know, our, our people that look after the kids and my in-laws and my family. Like it's, it's a constant juggle, but I'm really lucky to have that support system. You touched on something that people can write hours long political speeches totally. on, which is that uh, society's not going to give me the support system I need as a working parent. We've yeah. done it. We've done a lot of shows on that, haven't we? Yeah. Um, how does being a dad uh, factor into how you approach your career, Sonny? Uh, when Banner was born, it uh, great period of reflection and ultimately a real driving force in making that shift. I love retail, uh, born in retail, retail family, but it's hard. And like, you know, uh, dealt with a lot of really prominent people that said, you got to make time. And so I did. And, uh, you know, that led to I have a kid. He'll have access to things. That's what drove me to free play. I want to make sure more kids have access to the supports that you know we're, we're talking about here. Like those, I, I like to think there's a world where everyone should have that, and that's what we're trying to do. You've uh, before we go any further, um, I want to make sure that people understand what free play is all about. Uh, Real Talk's been proud to to sponsor a team as part of their initiatives. People can check out freeplayforkids.com. This this was like a, a really kind of a mod, had modest beginnings, grassroots beginnings, and it has grown into a real thing. Yeah, it's it's a beast. And, you know, another member of the club, Tim Adams, uh, he's he founded this. Uh, gave up his journalism career. Uh, it was free footy, and in that, in its early days, was super impressive. The Jesper bots, uh, but it's evolved. And I think the most common misconception is that free play for kids is like a sport program, uh, and that sometimes has limits the doors you get in because people see sport in a certain way. But to be honest, it really has the sport doesn't matter. We're providing wraparound service. We're filling that gap from three thirty to five thirty in the schools that need us most, uh, families that need us most, providing that support system that people can't necessarily afford. We have newcomers, we have refugees. Um, so the sport is just like, you, you get more kids to come to sport than you might with something else. Um, and then when we're doing the sport, we do it disruptively. Like everything that we talk about, learning in sport, uh, leadership, uh, teamwork, we purposely, te uh, purposefully teach that. So we have a curriculum that's completely unique. Um, so we're more focused on like, outcomes of people than a sport outcome like I know I could care less if we have the next McDavid or the next uh, Sarah nurse in the program we want the next round table mm. of citizens and uh, mm. you know. although didn't Alfonso Davies for a brief period of time participate he, he did as a young kid as a young kid so you've already graduated one of the world's best footballers for sure yeah <laughs> which doesn't hurt the reputation of the program no I, and I mean I think to, to both uh, Heather and Shaliza's points like when you have space and you can give space and support to people that deserve it, mm -hmm. outcomes, they're not surprising. Like you, you, yeah. you believe in them and that's what we're doing. And it's, so I've been pretty shameless in trying to, I was like, Tim, we just got to tell the free play story more. <laughs> so. Well, and it was, it was a, it was a big thing and, and we'll come back to this because I sort of want to hit the conversation from a few different angles, but it was a big thing when they brought you on as a chief revenue officer, because I know that the organization was facing some real challenges that you helped them navigate more, more on that in a bit, but, but there is this theme here. I mean, Shaliza, you know, you, uh, a big part of your volunteer, uh, efforts, uh, have been, have been driven by, as, as you said, removing inequities. When was that first on your radar? Like, I mean, it might sound like an obvious question, but why is that so important to you? Great question. You know, I'm a, a daughter to, two individuals that moved to Canada as first-generation Canadians, they had 
opportunities, but they also had challenges and they came to Canada without much. And so seeing them work hard, jump in head first into any uh, opportunity that came up, I wanted to provide that same uh, ability to others and, and be, as they provided to me, really. So the work that I do in my volunteer space is around mentoring and sponsoring individuals that I, I can see have the capability to do amazing things. They just need the guidance and support that I was given. Mm. Um, and so it's only fair for me to give that much more back. Heather, what's it been like for you? Now, I mean, you're, you're kind of in an interesting spot because you're working a lot with businesses and, yeah. and you're working a lot with like economists and people that are, you know, forecasting and you, you understand. But then you're also sort of aligned with the halls of academia. I mean, yeah. you're, you're, you know, you're navigating post-secondary. Uh, you're working with students, business mm -hmm. students. Of course, it's a, it's kind of a unique spot to be in, right? You're you're playing in the I don't want to say the real world because it makes it sound like universities. <laughs> the not, business community. The business community, <laughs> yeah. right? But yeah. then but then also academia. It's an interesting mm -hmm. kind of parallel line thing you got going yeah. on. And I think bridging those two is I think one I want to say one of my the pillars of my job because there's a lot of great work that's happening in the academic world um, that business community does hear about and vice versa yeah. and so how are we making sure that both both awesome work is happening and people know about each other um and you know when the pandemic happened i was like okay well i mean with all due respect to academia like we need solutions like now like yeah. now like we need to figure this out now and so when we're talking about inequity uh, i think especially in a business sense we, there was lots of controversy about this, but at the beginning, a lot of the businesses that were kind of already gonna survive this were given a lot of extra, I'll say privileges to make even more money. And I think that was kind of like one of those things where I'm like, this is insane. Like we need to really work with other businesses that need the support and just actually have, have to work with them so they have the same knowledge tools that the, I would say, rich companies have. Mm. Um, and, and the university was interesting and it was interested in this and really supportive of this. The other thing that was part of that was that I want to make sure students have real world experience and so the u of a is great they have got co-op programs and internships and all those different things but i think when students were able to actually work with businesses i think it was a really cool opportunity for them so they could actually say like okay this, these are things i actually can't learn in the classroom like meeting deadlines having clients need them in a short amount of time like as as scary as university is there's something about being a consultant where you're actually helping someone's bank account um, that's a whole other level of scary in a yeah. good way. <laughs> is there one way that uh, I'm, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but what would be one of the ways that you would say that, that, um, that, that business has been demonstrably changed mm -hmm. as a result of the pandemic, not something that changed during yeah. and then went back, yeah. but something that didn't go back. I think the biggest thing is that before uh, digital presence was an option. Mm -hmm. I think it was. I think it was an option. And I think we were always going to have to move to like a full digital experience for any business. And I mean any business. I don't care if you're selling shoes if, or if you have a dentist practice. You need a digital presence. Um, and I think the pandemic just like made that made that decision. And now I think as, as we as we head out of the pandemic, we're going to switch it a little bit. And I think a lot of businesses, de depending on the type, are actually going to need both. And so you hear this term like omni-channel or whatever, like I want that that's going away. So I think there's like a fundamental experience that's happening. But the one thing that changed 
businesses need digital infrastructure. Was it difficult for you to like, how, how much time did you hum and haw? You've already used the word reflection twice in our first 20 minutes. So I know you to be a thoughtful person, but to move from a for-profit iconic business to a non-profit, uh, also iconic in its own right, but, but, but that, that's a big shift. Yeah. Um, I still sometimes look, you know, I, think about it and I, I wonder what the next five years are because of all the excitement with Singer and what's coming and uh, it's yeah, for people who don't know they're opening a new flagship right by Rogers Place here downtown um, Edmonton but I think it just speaks to the power of what free play was doing and where I'm at at this point of my life and you know I'm also blessed to have a great relationship with Jordy and Fred and I still not a consultant but I'm still available there uh, I still serve my clients um, but yeah I mean Part of it was like the pandemic, right? Like uh, Ryan, you were in the shop. Like uh, it was hard to to even for Henry Singer, which is at that point an eighty year old business. Uh, we had to get creative. We had to find new ways to serve clients. Uh, the shift you mentioned was very real. We felt it on the ground, and uh, so at the end of it, I I knew I definitely needed a break, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know that break turned into a career change where I can help a lot of kids. Uh, so. Yeah. What, what was one thing that you did or that the company did um, during the pandemic that was like when you say we had to shift, we had to shift how we provided service? I mean, I, like you know, to state the obvious, when no one was going into the office, there weren't a lot of people getting custom tailored Italian suits. <laughs> right. I mean, the suit business, I would imagine the floor pretty much dropped out of it. Yeah. And, you know, and kudos to our buying team at that time. Um, we were a bit ahead of the curve. Uh, and I think people don't give enough. Uh, credit to Edmonton Fashion, um, we had already kind of taken the gas pedal off of traditional tailored suiting. We were very much into like athleisure, lots of t-shirts, lots of denim. And so we had all that stuff just like in stacks in the store. So we were ready for what the new workspace looked like. And it, during that time too, like we we had a digital presence, but we definitely hammered it harder. Um, we used to we use the term omni-channel. I'm sure we learned it at one of the seminars over the years with you. Um, but uh, Can you guys explain what that is? Omni-channel? Omni-channel. Oh, yeah, sure. Like, yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, it's uh, you can either shop in person or you can shop online. It's, okay. like, it's like different channels. So you're shopping. saying to be basically like when we say you can watch us on YouTube or listen to the podcast. Totally. Or, okay. Okay. So just omni-channel. making yourself available wherever yes. people yeah, can find you. Yeah, it was a you. big buzzword like 2018, sure. I think. It was like omni-channel. It was like you heard it everywhere. Okay. And now I, I like I cringe when I hear it because oh. it's like, oh, that's just how we consume anything <laughs> is we consume it in a very... Like it's implied. It's implied. Yeah, exactly. Like we don't need to say omni-channel. You're just shopping now. Okay. Like, it doesn't matter The how. goal of omni-channel is kind of to have the same experience no matter wh- if you're online, if you're over the phone, if you're in person. So you got to find ways for the to digital experience the to, yeah. to, to be make the it same. all the That's same. That's right. Yeah. Mm. You're just a, what, a, what a boring field you're in where nothing ever happens <laughs> in oil and gas and, 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 and the legal side of it. Everybody always gets along. Everybody always agrees. Oh, nothing ever changes. Nothing, nothing. ever changes. No. There's no regulatory yeah. changes. Yeah. What a dynamic field to be working in. It's incredible. And I feel very privileged to be part of this uh, field. You know, like you said, it's very dynamic. The rules are continually evolving. It's fast paced. I'm intellectually challenged constantly. But the best part about it is now I'm at a point in my life where I can actually 
contribute my knowledge, my skill set to others. Mm-hmm. And that's that concept of community, really, and, and that whole mentorship and sponsorship piece that I spoke about earlier. Um, now I'm able to share that skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys talked about the pandemic and the changes that happened. Another part of that was we were all isolated for a while. Yeah. And so now more than ever, do we need to start reaching out to each other and building each other up and giving each other the opportunities to rise and being part of this wonderful club, as you mentioned, <laughs> is an opportunity for all of us to step out and to say, hey, I need to share my skill sets hmm. with the rest of Edmonton yeah. and raise the rest of Edmonton. Can I piggyback on that point yeah. for a second? You know, it's interesting you're saying that because I'm working with like primarily 18 to 23 year olds. And so a lot of these students were either in university during COVID and were offline. And a lot of them right now were in high school. Yeah, it's a hard time for them. It was a really difficult time. And so when we're talking about sharing our experiences, I think now, especially with the young people, it's really critical because they they have adopted to having an online presence very well because that, you know, they were 16 to 19 for Mm -hmm. a lot of the students who are in university right now. So sharing that experience, I think, is going to be just so critical. No, it's a great point. And even to what the work you're doing, Sunny, in terms of newcomers in sports, Mm -hmm. that's creating a community for them as well. That, you know, coming to a new place, a new country, sports is global, which they're able to relate to and and build off of, which is great. For sure. It's uh, it is cliche. Um, You know, you put kids on a field, put a ball in front of them and they know what to do. Um, But where our one program's welcome to play specifically works with newcomers so these are kids that are and i say kids so like eight to 17 year olds that are in settlement transition homes so hotels um and you know it's teaching them that you don't have to be afraid of things here like you might have before there's spaces for this and to watch the evolution of some of those people uh our current scholarship recipient nastreen she can't she's been in canada less than four years she uh, came with welcome to play from Afghanistan as a refugee worked for free play won a, the Darnell nurse scholarship and is now in uh, studying and you know that's again it uh, the power of sports Sonny and not to be like you just said something that's amazing um, I, I don't want to sort of be a downer uh, or make light of anything but let's also acknowledge that a lot of these young people are dealing with serious trauma mm-hmm. um, a lot of these young people require significant mental health supports my understanding with free play for kids as well is you kind of alluded to it earlier but for a lot of kids um, school and free play is their safe time because they're not at home um, and there's a harsh reality there as well. I mean, this is a team, your team, uh, the team that you work with, that needs to be well-equipped uh, to provide services that some people might not anticipate. Yeah, for sure. Um, my preconceived notion of it was totally upended when I first walked in dressed like I was ready to go to a meeting and I was taking nonviolent crisis intervention training. Right. And so I'm learning what to do if someone is trying to bite you as a child. Uh, our coaches take 14 hours of training before they're allowed to be around kids. So we, they have training in uh, trauma-informed practices uh, to make sure that there's no child that we can't work with to, to support. Uh, multiple language services um, because we, we need to be there for these kids and we need to make sure that these kids, uh, again, can have the support to be the next generation of this roundtable. I love it. Um, we're, we're hanging out with uh, Sonny Sakon, uh, Shaliza Kluga, and Heather Thompson. Three 
of edify Edmonton's top 40 under 40. There's 37 more. Uh, and we would have loved to have 40 around the round table today. And obviously all of them with just remarkable stories. And I encourage you to check out edifyedmonton.com If you want to check out the full list also to let you know, coming up on the 28th of November, that's a Tuesday night at Edmonton's beautiful Windspear center. We're going to be celebrating the top 40 with an event. You won't want to miss. You can get ticket details again at edifyedmonton.com doors at five o'clock awards at six 30 more with these three in just a quick second. But first we wanted to let you know that this conversation is happening because of the support of real talk partners like our friends at Athabasca University that's Canada's open university you know that they're world-class accredited online programs one of the reasons why literally tens of thousands of Canadians are going to Athabasca U for their post-secondary is because they offer flexibility. Learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. You can check out the Getting Started link at AthabascaU.ca to figure out what you're going to need. Admission requirements, maybe what might be a good fit for you, what kind of student are you, how to apply, and of course the financial supports as well. It's all online at AthabascaU.ca. Oh, honey. Hey, Johnny, have you heard about this, Friesen Brothers? Their honey that they have here? It's the first time you've called yeah, me honey. I know, honey. Well, let me tell you something. They're really <laughs> excited at their South Edmonton store. Remember, this is the store that won the gold medal from the Canadian Federation of Independent Grocers. In other words, the best grocery store in Canada. Well, at Rabbit Hill, that's South Edmonton, in Fort Saskatchewan, that's the grocery store with the beer taps, and in Stony Plain as well, they've got Rabbit Hill honey available for sale to customers at those three stores you can pick it up uh, for the second year this is the second year they've done this but stock is still limited um, you can check out freezing.com slash bee project if you want to learn more like they keep bees on the roof of the south edmonton store and this is the honey it's amazing uh, the honey went on sale this november 1st at 9 a.m at all three stores and it's going to go till they run out so make sure you get there this weekend at freezing brothers Heather does a lot of work at the U of A Center for Cities and Communities. And while she's here sitting around this table, I want to remind you about their digital economy program. This is one that we used here at Relay at Real Talk. It's a free initiative that helps build the online presence of small businesses in the Metro Edmonton region and surrounding areas. If your business uh, it has fewer than 50 employees, if you're 49 or lower, you're eligible for the program. You get business students. These are the sharpest knives in the drawer working as your consultants, helping you boost your digital literacy this is funded by the government of alberta business link digital main street the u of a it runs until october of next year and it's again free if you want to boost your business go to yourdep.ca that's yourdep.ca and while we're celebrating Real Talk Partners, last night was a big night for our friends at Kubi Energy. That's right. The founder, the CEO of Kubi Renewable Energy, Jake Kubiski, and his right-hand man, their COO, Adam Ureniak, won the Business in Edmonton Awards, and we were thrilled to be there to support them. This is obviously a huge recognition of the work that the Kubi team is doing, building this business now to over 100 employees just eight years in, and the work that they're doing in solar, in sustainability, in green energy, applauded last night by a room full of Edmonton's business community. Congratulations to our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. There they are. Look at that. At the JW Marriott. Congratulations to those 
dapper fellas on winning that well-deserved award. Hanging out with Sunny, uh, hanging out with Sunny Sakon, uh, Shaliza Kluga, and Heather Thompson. Can you tell us about any of the files that you're working on with them? Like, can you give? And I'm not asking for like the inside scoop or your legal strategy or anything private, uh, but can you give us a sense of like sort of the area that you're focusing in right now and some of the work that you're doing? Sure. Yeah. Um, so. Primarily, I work in commodity trading, so dealing with traders buying and selling renewable natural gas, environmental attributes, um, and so it's it's a lot of commercial corporate work. Um, but I'm also working in uh, the renewable energy space, and Enbridge is putting a lot of focus into you know wind and solar, and so I'm getting the opportunity to participate in that space, and it's great, and, and as I mentioned earlier, it's dynamic, the rules are continually evolving, um, and so there's never a dull moment which is awesome. One of the trends in oil and gas, it's been interesting to see, uh, the premier's been talking about it a lot, is is indigenous stakeholders and uh, indigenous ownership in some projects, and obviously the consultation side um, on indi- in First Nations and indigenous communities is prominent as well. It's kind of reiterated, I think, to the general population. I mean, not just investors, not just people working in oil and gas, but the, the general population about what reconciliation looks like, what equity looks like is have you have you worked on those files personally or is is that something that you've you know that's been in your orbit yeah great question so i haven't personally worked on those files those files do exist and and they're doing well um but the one thing that we have worked on is we do have a lot of programming that engages the indigenous community and i do actually participate in a mentorship program through Enbridge where we work with the Braided Journeys program Uh, and these are um, junior high girls uh, high school girls um, and they are within the indigenous community and we help mentor them through STEM programming and it's a great program to encourage and again develop and mentor uh, individuals into types of jobs that you know Enbridge could be an employer for example Hmm. you have to I mean that's that's right in your wheelhouse as well Heather right I mean you're working I guess technically the students you're working with are Gen Z right yeah they're Gen Z Gen Z so so do do we understand Gen Z and I mean you do (laughs) I don't I don't know what's up but people better soon soon if they're gonna be hiring if they're gonna be employers they're gonna be growing their company how different is Gen Z from the others when it comes to the, the labor market and what they expect and yeah, we actually did a study on this exact topic earlier this this uh, spring, and it is it's pretty different. I would say Gen Z versus Millennial. Like, there's a lot of Millennials and Gen X similarities, um, but between Millennial and Gen Z, there's not a ton in terms of like what's motivating them. Um, like, I think you know sometimes we were joking around like, why don't Gen Z have like the professional anxiety? that a lot of millennials and Gen Xers have. And it's not to say that they won't, but they just, they have a different outlook. They're not like, I wanna scale the corporate ladder. That's not necessarily what they want to do. They really want their work to have purpose. They're not really interested in titles necessarily. And they, a lot of them, a lot of our students um, have actually started their own company like right out of university because that whole corporate structure just wasn't appealing to them. They wanna do what they're passionate about and and that the big paycheck wasn't necessarily a huge motivator for them or the title or the corporate ladder. Hmm. Because mm-hmm. that kind of seems to fly in the face of some of, I think, the 
the uh, maybe misnomers people have or maybe the, the anecdotes that people have experienced about Gen Z, which is that, um, I mean, I don't want to go on the record and say it, but mm-hmm. it's sort of like they're entitled. They expect to start at vice president. They expect to have six weeks off. They expect to have everything handed to them. Yeah. They're not willing to work hard. They're not willing to work overtime. They're, you get the idea? So it's actually interesting because we, we dove into this a little bit. We did a study um, and we did two focus groups. So we did a focus group of older Gen Zs and like current like current student Gen Zs. Um, and so we said, like, on a scale of one to five, how much does this statement offend you? So we would ask them statements like, um, like, I am too young to work autonomously and remotely. Okay. Okay. So older Gen Zs were like, that's totally true. That doesn't offend me. I need to be in the office. I need to work with, like, my mentors. I need to learn stuff. Younger Gen Zs were like, yeah, no, I am better at home. I am. I'm, I'm more productive. I am a better asset when I am working at home. It's just as an example. And then so it's like, I think my, my inference there is that then they'll leave university, get some experience like the older Gen Zs have already and say, oh, oh, this is actually harder. I actually really do need to like go and meet people and mm-hmm. learn things. Um, and so I think also a COVID symptom, I would say. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the older Gen Zs had an experience of being in university with clubs and experiences and events and you know, doing those internships, whereas the younger Gen Zs haven't necessarily had that opportunity yet. Hmm. So I just thought that was, we did like, there was a series of 10 questions and happy to share the report, um, but it was, it was really interesting. Working remotely is an interesting thing and, and I think people's hesitation to it or affinity for it isn't necessarily just limited to the generation they would align themselves with, mm-hmm. right? Like how, how did the three of you do working remotely? Uh, it took a little while to get used to it, for sure. I'm, I'm used to, my entire career, I was boots on the ground, front of line, first person to greet you at a door. And then, uh, so it was like programmed in me. And then uh, to know that you have to get everything done, but again, there's you're on your own pace, mm-hmm. you're on your own schedule. Um, it, it was a bit of an adjustment. Uh, maybe I'm just on, on the older side of it. But yeah, it took a little while to wrap my head around. Shaliza, are you back in the office like five days a week? I am. And, and to be honest... That's just my personality and my preference. Yeah. I get too distracted at home. Mm-hmm. And so I like to be, you know, go to an office space, shower in the morning, get dressed, go yeah. somewhere. Um, and that just gets me in the right headspace. I'm space. the same as you. But honestly, the, the concept of remote working is an incredible concept and, and it opens up the doors for our youth, for the entire um, you know population, because now you have a global resource, mm-hmm. right? You can get talent, you can get skill across the world, mm-hmm. and so as we groom and as we you know mentor and sponsor our youth, we should encourage them to think global, think across the world, think multi generational. Mm-hmm. Whatever jobs you take should impact you and others years in advance. Uh, and so don't just limit yourself, although we would love to keep them all in Edmonton so mm. that we can thrive <laughs> and benefit from them, but we will benefit at some point. Uh, but yeah, think across mm. the world. What's a, what's a, I mean, you work for one of the bigger employers in the province um, and one of the more prominent companies. What, what, what's been the general trend? When it, I mean, was, was there a back-to-work order or what have, you, what have you seen with regards to your colleagues? Yeah, so, so you know, there, there has been flexibility most definitely. Um, there is, it's recommended to come in uh, like a structured couple days a week yeah. now. Um, and again, it's the benefit of networking and having meetings face-to-face. Uh, there is something to be said for those. Um, but it again, the remote working concept is not lost on the company and, and uh, there's just so much opportunity there. 
Uh, interesting to see on our live chat, uh, Justin says the entire 40-hour work week is a very recent phenomenon in human history. It's also uniquely North American. Uh, we shouldn't need to work five days a week or in an office full time, especially considering the technology we have. Yeah. Tech's been a big thing, right? Like Johnny and yeah. I were laughing about this a while ago. Zoom was probably the most prominent. Zoom issued like the most prominent back to work order I've ever seen in my life. It's like, <laughs> I was like, really? Yeah. You're the guys who told us to stay home. You're the guys that told yeah. us it was fine to be at home. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, everybody talks about their Zoom background, but yeah. Zoom wants its employees back in the office. Yeah, it's also interesting as we were talking. It's funny that you were saying like we we want the students to understand the global market. Um, I have been, and I I agree with that 100%. I also feel like I'm trying to like encourage students to also work in an office setting. Because if you think about like us, as we've kind of established ourselves a little bit, we have our friends, right? Like mm -hmm. how many of us met our spouses in a workplace or a work capacity? Yeah. So I just don't want them to miss out on, and sometimes like my best friends are people that we hated our boss together. Like that was just like <laughs> such a bonding experience that I just, and I'm not saying- I All your that, former <laughs> bosses are watching right now going, oh, yeah. uh. Whoops. Secretly <laughs> you, though, Heather, right? Secretly, yeah, that's yeah, right, yeah. Secretly, that's right. But I just think like you, you wanna have those social experiences because it really sets you up for success mm -hmm. in life. Um, and I, I know a lot of students are, they're saying, they're, oh, I'm not necessarily interested in the hustle culture sometimes. Um, and they all work really hard and they're so bright that I'm just like, oh, okay, well, just don't miss out on the fun. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of fun to be had too, and I, I don't want them to to And knowledge that. transfer yeah. too, knowledge right? Transfer, yeah, yes. and sharing um, and getting that mentorship piece. Like that is so critical to my success and probably yeah. all of our success exactly. across the table. So um, yeah, encouraging them to, to not isolate themselves behind a screen at home is important for sure. Sonny, you're you're uh, like for for as much as you're known for your time in retail and and, and that um, and, and you know working like I said for a for profit company, um, you've been uh, like a bit of a heavy hitter on the fundraising side in a number of different contexts for for as long as I've known you. Uh, you're north of Lipsky. Movember team. Uh, I was on the Movember Edmonton committee for years and years and years, and you guys were always number one fundraisers in the city, in the country sometimes, I believe in the world one year, yeah. right? You've raised like over a million dollars for, for men's health, uh, including uh, mental health, prostate cancer awareness, and, and testicular cancer. Um, and, and then also, if I'm understanding correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, when you came into Free Play for Kids, the, 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 the bottom had dropped out. Uh, you, you were about 100 grand short on what you needed like right now and you went and grabbed six figures you made it happen what's your secret i just i'll ask the question i i get asked this all the time like uh you know the worst that can happen is someone says no right um and a career in retail a career in sales uh i credit a lot of it to the lipsky days like i'm old enough that when we were building that brand, it was boots on the ground, walking around, knocking on doors, asking people, to, uh, nothing like getting chased out of a retail store when you're just trying to get like, I remember specifically trying to get pots and pans from a local retailer as an auction item. So you get a thick skin and I, I know what motivates me to ask the question. And so I, I, I'm, not, I'm not worried about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think all the nonprofits, you, you allude to like the budget cut, that's the life the life and the reality of a small to mid-sized charity, right? Like your day-to-day, -day, like you don't have enough in your bank account to survive the next year or two years on the interest that you have. Like you're not, uh, and so you pivot and you, you, you go to where you, uh, where you can, where you know people where you can. And at the end of the day, I, I, I truly 
anytime I talk about free plan, actually educate on what we're actually doing, it's not really been a tough sell. Like, I think it's just correcting the conception that this is totally about sport to actually know, like we are changing the game for childcare. We're teaching, uh, we're mentoring and we're arming them for life. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's, I guess that's the sauce. <laughs> I, I remember uh, vividly uh, my parents, like, well, I guess maybe this is a generational thing as well, but they had us like in their 20s, right? Whereas like we had our first son when, when I was almost 40 and my wife was in her late 30s and kind of thing. But so I vividly remember being at my dad's 40th birthday party, which blows my mind. I was like 12 years old or something like that, right? Whereas like my son will not remember my 40th birthday party, but the whole thing about like over the hill, doesn't really seem to be a thing anymore. And and the vibe that I pick up and that we will, although Heather made to get you. Sorry. Correct me if you feel like I'm wrong. But but the point being, and, and, and at this event, you'll see it, you'll experience it. I've been there before on Tuesday, the 28th at the Windspear. You guys are going to be, I mean, your faces are going to hurt from smiling. People are going to be coming up to you nonstop to congratulate you and, and, and just recognize your achievements and all that. There's, there's a huge energy infused into that room. But you get the feeling like in that sense, top 40, under 40, this is a list of young people, right? So I'm curious to know how the three of you approach the next half of your career. Like Shaliza, where, what, do, what do you dream about? What drives you forward? Like what, what, what do you hope to be doing at 50 and 55 and 60? Amazing. It, I'm excited. It's going to be a great journey. This is just the first step, as you said. Yeah. You know, this is we, this is 20s, but with financial freedom. I love that. <laughs> So, yeah, and now I have a base of knowledge to share and to help others around me and to build up that community around me. And I'm just so excited. And and I look at folks like yourself and Sunny who have made career changes and succeeded and jumped in headfirst. And so the opportunities are unlimited, Mm -hmm. really. We, We, you know, multiple or many people make changes throughout their life through their education changes or career changes and so it's unlimited and and i'm very excited for this. what what does it look like for for a young woman of color like i'm talking 17 18 19 20 years old right now dreaming of a career in law um are are there are there you know significant barriers that that exist or that still exist or what what, what do you know about the next gen coming up yeah you know it the barriers that were there 20, 30 years ago are coming down, most definitely. Um, the It's still a very challenging place to be at times, but um, that's not because uh, being a woman of color. It's just a challenging space. The, the, the environment is fast paced, it's dynamic, it's intellectually difficult. So that those are the key pieces. Um, and if you just work hard, if you have a goal, like being on this list was a goal. And, and I've worked hard to get here. Awesome. But I had a group around me that helped me get here. And so the, for me, the key is having that community around you, having that mentorship, having a sponsor at the table that'll say, hey, Shaliza needs to be here with mm. us. Um, that is really what will help um, get those uh, individuals here. Would you tell us uh, about wh- when you found out you're on the list? Oh my Where were you and what were you doing? What was your response? I was, I was in the car um, and I got the call from Stephen and I started crying. Aww. I just bawled and I called my husband and I said, you won't believe what just happened. And it was exceptional. And it was exceptional not because I have worked so hard, but because 
as I've mentioned, my parents have worked so hard. My community has worked so hard for me to get here. And so it's just a reflection of all of that. Um, and, and again, I hope I can contribute that to someone else and, and bring them to this table. That's amazing. Where, where were you when you found out? What was going on with you? Um, I was in between meetings. And okay, I'm going to share this. This is so embarrassing. But I knew that the calls were happening sometime in the summer. So I actually went and found the magazine's phone number and put it in my phone as like, <laughs> answer. <laughs> Good answer job. The, yes. Don't screen this call. Yeah, it was so embarrassing. But I was like, so I saw it come up on my phone. I'm like, oh my God. And I'm like, oh my God, answer. And I'm like trying to play it cool. But I was, I was right next to the Tim Hortons in City Center Mall there. And so I had to like go over to the window and yeah, Stephen gave me the great news. And we're I talking was, about Stephen Sander. The yeah, editor. yeah, yeah. I was like, and I, for some reason, I think I said to him, I'm like, oh, are you sure? Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I think I said the same. <laughs> really? Like, yeah. Are you sure? It's me. Like, He's like, number? oh my gosh, oh my gosh, <laughs> I made a horrible sure. mistake. <laughs> that, totally. Okay, so yeah. you at, mm. at at fifty, at fifty five, yeah. at sixty. Okay, uh, I, I, yeah. I think I echo a lot of what Shalisa said. Um, I think it was interesting as you were saying, like my mentors and things like that. I there's so many people that brought me into rooms, and I just I don't think as a, as when I was younger I didn't appreciate that. Mm. Uh, I didn't think I I didn't think you don't really necessarily need it, but it was really helpful to have those people. Like, well, maybe Heather might be a good opportunity for that, or maybe maybe you should talk to Heather. So I think there's a lot of those things. So I definitely would love to go and give that back to to a lot of different people. Um, I think I'm I'm going to be done my master's hopefully in the next three years. I, it's is literally taking me ten years um, to do my master's just with kids and the pandemic and stuff like that. But I, I'm still one foot in front well, of the and other. Well, like running a major initiative at the University of Alberta. Yeah, yeah I'm <laughs> that's really, weird how that, that takes. It's just like it's it's a lot of time. Yeah. Um. So, but the, I think the future is um, I'd like to be an economist. Um. And I think that one of the things that I'm noticing as as we were going through the pandemic and building up these these programs is that data is really expensive um, and it's not accessible for the businesses that need it. And so I would like to maybe it's like a term called like democratizing data or something like that. But I would just I really want to do some work where businesses have opportunity to understand the consumer habits, what the trends look like so they can make the right decisions for their business, because so many businesses are playing in the dark. Mm. And a lot of, again, those rich companies can buy the Moneris reports, which are like 40 or $50,000 for one consumer insight report. Really? Yep. I was talking to an entrepreneur last night at uh, the Forward Slash event mm -hmm. uh, that was put on by Edmonton Global, and uh, she works in uh, second-gen uh, windows and doors, a, a, a big family brand. And she was talking about the, the frustration for them is that when they, they, they supply huge home improvement shops, but then they get no insight from there yeah. uh, regarding who is buying their windows and doors from there. They, all they know is it goes to the big box store. They don't know where it goes from there, so they have no insight there. And she was talking about how valuable that would be yep. and how they're lobbying the big box stores to, to make that information more readily available to them. Exactly, and we're making all these investments and, and resources and we don't know what's working for a lot of businesses. Um, and, and when I say businesses, I mean like there's a full umbrella. Like if you run an organization, you need some sort of data. Like you probably need like a ton of data to, to run your organization. Yeah, and I mean, and Johnny and I, we have like, we probably don't, um, I don't want to pull back the curtain too much to make us sound <laughs> lazy, but um, <laughs> we we have, we, we do utilize a lot of the analytics that are available. Yeah. We want to know, like we can tell you exactly how many downloads an episode on the podcast has, exactly how many views it has on YouTube, um, what kind country people are hitting our website 
insight from how long they're tuning, if mm-hmm. they're coming back, gender, if new, age, gender, age, Amazing. you know, all that kind yeah. of stuff, which is fascinating. Yeah. Now understanding, and this is part of like, you know, doing work with the, the digital economy program to give that another shout out because yeah. I sincerely believe I appreciate what they're doing is we need to know you can, you can get the data, but then what do you, what do, you do, do with, with the it? data? Exactly. Like how does the data yeah. influence it? Like we found out we, we had a month, a couple of months back where 20% of our tuning was from the United States. 20% of our tuning through an entire month. Yep. What does that mean to, do we start integrating more American programming, but right. what's our target exactly. audience? Do yeah. we want it, you know, do we want Real Talk to be a global talk show? Do we want it to be Albertans talk show? Do we want it to be, yep. anyway, what's great is that I've managed to take the three of your stories and turn it into talking about us. <laughs> um, Sonny, where were you when you found out you were on the list? Top 40 under 40. I was at my home office. I saw the call and uh so Stephen called me as well, and he's been at a lot of events. He's super passionate about sports. So I actually, my first instinct was, oh, this he's calling for a quote or a comment on that. Because uh, I had been nominated previously, uh, you know, in the year that I think North of Lipsky hit 800K. And, you know, back then, almost 10 years ago, I'm like, oh, I'm a shoo-in. And I never thought after that I would get it. So then the call was like 10 minutes long. And at the very tail end, he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm calling for this. <laughs> and I'm like, I was like dumbfounded. I just I like didn't know what to say. And uh, yeah, first I called I called my uh, my wife at work and she's just like can't respond because she's working. But uh, it was a very cool moment. And like every like Heather and Shiz, I said, it's uh, I'm very honored to have it. But, you know, I'm the sum of the parts of North of Lipsky. I'm working with amazing people at Free Play. And, uh, you know, I. I'm not where I am without uh, my family and Fred and Jordan uh, in the space that they gave me, opening the same doors and putting me in those conversations. And um, so it's uh, I'm very aware of the privilege of getting this award also. So well, it's awesome to hear all, all three of you talking about people that brought you into rooms and put you around tables. Right. And how significant that is. Uh, I do have to ask you 50, 55, 60. Where is Sonny Sacon? Yeah, I think um, right now, I think uh it would be to show my son banner and my community like my dad's a first my dad's an immigrant from india came in 74 uh i would like to show my community that success can mean a lot of different things and it doesn't mean you have to uh be a lawyer or be a doctor or be an engineer which are the you know very common uh jobs that uh careful i'm right here (laughs) i know know. but but and i know i don't mean to take anything away obviously those are amazing things that are important but uh you can measure success in a lot of different ways and impact and um and people should know that and um you know i don't i don't have to be a doctor to feel like i've helped change the community for the better um and so i continue to want to wave that flag as a retailer mm-hmm. uh which is definitely non-conventional and now in nonprofit, uh probably the hardest thing about making the change was first when I told my dad that I wasn't going to go to law school to be a retailer, that was like, and then now like 10 years later, I'm like, Hey, you thought that was crazy. And you know, having to have that discussion again, because, uh, it's just the way that community is programmed. So I hope to be that change. Amazing. I had a guy come up to me last night at that, at that forward slash event. Um, and, uh, he, he was talking about his parents, um, uh, uh, Indian descent. And, and he said, uh, he's, he's starting up a new podcast 
and he said that his uh, the, the goal of the podcast is to communicate within generations of families of Southeast Asian descent. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, give me some insight. Like, what would be an example of a fascinating, right? This this niche. And, and, and that's a guy where his podcast will have a global audience, mm-hmm. right? That, that's the whole point of it. And I said, well, give me an example of something you'd talk about on your podcast. And he said, I'll give you an example. He said, I'm in this room here tonight mingling with a thousand people that are major players in business in this region. He says, my parents would believe this to be a total waste of time. You know, he said they don't believe in networking. They don't believe in that. And he said, so his podcast will be communicating between generations. I thought, what a fascinating niche anyway i promise we're going to get him on the show in a future episode so real talkers will meet him and hear from him firsthand but but i love that take on it um i'm looking forward to seeing all three of you on tuesday the 28th of november uh doors open at five and the event gets going shortly after that at 6 30 the awards you three and 37 others will walk across the stage at the windspear center i feel like it's still landing with with oh, impact totally. on you shaliza <laughs> your is. face i it love is. it that's so wonderful to see um, and uh, of course, uh, real talkers, you can check out and 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 based on the live chat right now, people are loving this. Let me let me read this. Uh, for example, Tracy says. Um what a fantastic panel. Great information from all three of them. Uh, she says running a business requires data analysis of processes, collection of, of real-time customer service information outside of data. It's, it's got to be a balance in my experience. So Tracy's like honing in on, on your takes on that. But uh, you can read the full list. You can read about the other 37 as well by going to edifyedmonton.com. If I start to name drop on who's on this list, I'm going to leave somebody out. And I'm, I'm going to feel terrible about that. But these are people from all different walks of life, politics, in industry, retail, the arts, nonprofits, real estate. I mean, just an awesome, awesome list. Uh, the top 40, under 40, and you can read the past years as well. I mean, I personally recommend 2009. 2009 was a really strong <laughs> class. Um, so that's uh, the Tuesday, November 28th at the Windspear Center. More information at edifyedmonton.com. We'll see you three there, okay? Awesome. Thanks Thank for you. doing the Real Talk Roundtable. Awesome to have you here. This conversation is happening because of uh, sponsors like our friends at Complete Care Restoration. And if you're, uh, you know, heaven forbid, experiencing fire or flood, you guys need to get back on your feet. It could be your home. It could be your business. We recommend Complete Care Restoration. You can find them online at CompleteCareRestoration.ca or you can give them a call at 780-454-0776. Now, it's not just that it's not just fire and flood restoration they're also experts in construction and renovation i mean maybe everything's fine at home except for the fact that your kitchen hasn't been updated since 1971 or maybe you've got two bathrooms and you need three Uh, complete care restoration does that as well with their team of talented and certified professionals. They use the latest technology in estimating. They use project management software, non-destructive investigation techniques. All of it uh, is delivered by a team of people who truly make the difference at Complete Care, providing professional, respectful, and honest service. We've experienced it firsthand. And we recommend them with two thumbs up. That's Complete Care Restoration. Same goes for Eden Landscaping. Whatever your vision is for how you'd love your front or your backyard to look, or for that matter, if you're a a business owner with uh, some green space outside that you'd really like to ramp up the curb appeal, Eden Landscaping for more than 20 years has been delivering custom full-service landscaping services. You can find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. As you'll see from excavation all the way through to the finished project uh honestly what they do their team uh full-time employees plus the skilled trades that they work with 
it'll blow your mind. Uh, we've seen it in our own backyard. Edible garden boxes, excavation, stonework, hardscapes, uh, retaining walls, outdoor kitchens, water features, whatever you dream up, they can deliver it. Eden Landscaping is, of course, spending their winter months drawing up plans, putting together the 3D renderings, working with people's visions and budgets to make sure they get exactly what they're picturing. Again, you'll find Eden online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Great roundtable, great crew. I loved it, yeah. And uh, we were talking about, uh, you know, is it better to work at home or is it better to work in an office? I think a lot of people like both. Like, I feel like I get a lot of monotonous tasks done here in the studio. Like, if I have to bang out a bunch of edits, right. if I have to, you know, add to the manual, if I have to do writing some scripts, here. But always the creative stuff, for some reason, when I'm at home and a little more comfortable on the couch at my office desk at home, some reason the creative stuff gets going a little more at home. I get so that. I think for some people, hey, pick your poison, pick whichever one you like. And, and for some people, it's a split, right? And I also loved how, like, we were talking about Gen Z, Gen X, millennials. I think everyone's different nowadays. And what's wrong with wanting to be, you know, you said, you know, some of them want to be vice president right out the gates. What's wrong with that? I know, I know, uh, I know, I know a lot of CEOs that fell ass backward <laughs> into their jobs and don't deserve it. If you're smart... And can work your way into a position when you're young and find financial freedom before you're 30 or 35 or 40, whatever it is. Sure. Good for you, man. You well, built yeah, the there's, system. There's just Nobody the whole thing wants about earning to, your stripes. Oh, come on. That's it's. I, I hate that. My my goal is to do the least amount of work for the most amount of money, or well, get yeah. the most amount of time well, yeah. with family. And I think that's everyone. And if you can do it earlier, if you juke the system. I say you're you're a smart cookie. Yeah, I mean maybe to your own detriment. If you can swing it, sure. If I you're think VP at 24, you know, making a quarter million dollars yeah. a year, awesome, great. And you're not like, <laughs> I mean, a lot of people fake it till they make it. But if you're not, if you're actually smart and doing it, the other thing I like what Justin said, like this whole thing, like everyone, you know, you have to work hard. This whole hustle mentality that Heather said online too. I hate people. I don't hate. I'm not going to use the word hate. But when I open up my social media, it's like back to the grind, 13 hours today and then 12. What? You're going to die at 45. Who wants to do that? Like, that's not healthy. That's not a positive way to do whatever. But I do have a lot of respect for people who obviously put in hours and hours of work on their passion and they have drive and to get them somewhere they want to be in life. But at the same time, I like those little tricksters who who who, who cut the line as well. Like, well, for, if you're gonna do it, do it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a lot we could talk about that for ten hours and and, and workplace dynamics and stuff like that. But I mm-hmm. but I do think that like there's not a one size fits all formula for 100%. everybody. I like it's not sort of like the roadmap to success, mm-hmm. right? And interesting for Heather to talk about how a lot of her students are starting companies right out of business school and they're just ready to go make it on their own. I think that's the way of the world today because you look at, you open your phone every day and you see everyone online. They're not just a person, they're a brand. Yeah. And then as they find their passions, they wonder, hey, can I do something that I love every day so that it doesn't feel like work? And then they turn that into a job. And if you can do that at 21, 22, yeah. 24, this is interesting. Do, we're doing what we love, but you know, we're getting old. <laughs> so, but wow. if we were doing what we loved, you know, from the time we were 20, it would have been amazing. Do you but feel takes- old? Like I thought it was interesting <laughs> when you say like 40 is over the hill. Nobody really, I mean, I get what it is. It's like, if you're no. lucky enough to live 50 is the new 30. I think everyone's working till 65, 70 now, even like, you know, like people are just, 
maybe it's because we're healthier or there's just more drive and easier ways to get work done, like working from home and working remotely. Yeah. I did like this other comment Alberta girl said about how uh, offices are kind of clicky, right? Yeah. I feel like when you're behind like a drape or a shade or people can't see your face, they might take your, your work a little more. They might give you a little more respect than, you know, Everyone in an office is like looks, personality, the clothes you're wearing, etc. Yeah. Whereas if you read an email and, and someone's work is right there, you open a PDF, you're kind of behind the curtain, right? I yeah. Th- I think, I think that's okay as well. So I, th- I think um, it's, I, I think it's a mishmash here, of everything. On the live chat, Megan says, "Ryan, your radio background is showing. Earn your stripes is definitely <laughs> part of that mentality. Sure, a hundred percent. But oh, but I also, did it. we all did it. Oh, we all did it. Did oh, we ever horrible. do it? It was horrible. Weekend. Um, but Megan's Hi. right. But that's also that's also something that is. Um, I mean, like you look for example." The fire department. I'm not trying to pick a fight with the fire department, but I've had this debate <laughs> with, my bu- with my buddies who are firefighters for a long time, and there is no merit-based promotion at all. Like, literally, the only way that you get promoted in the fire department, at least in Edmonton, is based tenure? on your time of service, yeah, yeah. is tenure. Mm-hmm. And so you become like a qualified captain, then you become a captain, then you become and you move your way up. But it's like... But I've saved 20 just, babies. Well, no, but it's like... <laughs> lousy firefighter and i'm again i'm not trying to i'm being somewhat facetious here but like lousy firefighters rise up through the ranks uh while like unbelievably hard-working team players mm. don't it, just that they, they do at the same play, pace as everybody else and i think that a lot of people have a problem with that but for them that works for them that's the structure they're in but mm. megan's right like yeah radio is a classic there's a ton of careers that are like earn your stripes mm-hmm. i also think that it you know for people that have been in a workplace for a long time when the like, you know, the kids of this generation come in, right? <laughs> I used to have to do that. I used to have to work Saturdays and I used to. And then the kids come in and expect like, you know, they're like, I'm going to O'Shea and I'm going to be gone for like, you know, three <laughs> weeks because we're driving a Volkswagen bus down to Guadalajara. And it does sound unbelievable. <laughs> uh, and I'm not bringing my phone. So don't call me. Um, you know, that could, I think, be detrimental to you in mm. the workplace. But I'm not the expert. Like Heather's the expert on that kind of stuff. And, and probably people that are going to listen to this are, are more experts than us on, on the value of. Listen, if you don't, um, you know, again, I'll bring up Jake Kubisky last night, the CEO of Kubi Energy at this business in Edmonton award. And, and he and I talked for like 15 minutes mm. on what they're doing as a company to attract Gen Z workers. Because he's like, if we're not taking steps to attract this dynamic, bright, young talent, what are we even doing? Right. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why they're being recognized for their approach mm. uh, to their business, because they, they understand that at some point, you know, your entire staff will be comprised of the so-called next generation. So you better find a way to make it appealing to work. Yeah, there. you got to vibe with them. But I think, man, it's all up to the individual these days. Like if, if you find something you like, but then you go into an office setting and you're like, it's not for me. I can't breathe. I'm in the bathroom. I'm having anxiety. Yeah. Like, get the heck out of there. Find something else or see if you can work remotely. But yeah. like, I think it, what you're saying, it's a hodgepodge of all this stuff and it's really up to the individual. How are you going to succeed the best way possible? Probably if your mental health, your physical health is in top check, right? Yeah. And then everything else falls in line. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. This is Sharon says, it's like that at my husband's work. Literally, she says, between paternity leave and holidays, guys are gone for weeks and weeks and weeks. Good. Uh, Quinn says, I put in my time and played the game. Extra hours, additional training, team player. Looking back, it was all exploitative. That's a great point as well, Quinn. Mm-hmm. I mean, thanks for sharing that as well. 
Um, Garth says, what does he say? Working for the city, there's no meritocracy, just seniority, at least for places like city transit and equipment repair shops. It'd be interesting to see, you know, how, how that translates into whether or not young people are going to want to work in a situation like that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, it, it, gosh, even pro sports, like, you know, some teams are like the captain's going to be the person that's been there yeah. forever that has the room, has the leadership and, and other teams, you know, Connor McDavid gets the seat. Sure. You know, at, a, at a very young age, Sidney Crosby gets to see at a very yeah. young age. We're talking about the dr- dream jobs there, though. Like the majority of people, I mean, they may they may have a job that they're passionate about or that they like, but a lot of people are just you know, paycheck to paycheck, yeah, making ends meet. I got a family. I took this job. I needed money. Yeah, and for those people, like. I mean, work hard, do what you can, but we're also, man, we're trying to take more vacation days. We're trying to have four day work weeks. If we can work 10 hours a day, four days a week, like let's do it. Let's find different ways. And I like how Justin said that too. Like if you look at like in Europe, especially like they're taking siestas during the, during the day, they're doing four day work weeks. They're finding different ways to get the same or more productivity with less sweat and, uh, Aurora Aurora says, I worked on on the plane. I worked in the hotel while I was in Europe on holidays, but I love what I do and the stress is worth it. That from Aurora, which is totally cool. I think that's Um, us. And then I got to give Lauren, I got to give Lauren here because we know, I know Lauren personally is in our chat and he's a retired uh, district chief with Edmonton Fire. So if I'm going to talk about Edmonton Fire, I better read his comment. He says, Edmonton did the non-seniority thing in the 90s. Um, and he said, and it was a total disaster. So sure, Lauren would also probably acknowledge right now, Edmonton Fire is a bit of a disaster too. They've got their own problems with senior leadership, but that's not for today. <laughs> it's true. Edmonton Fire is in, in a real tough spot right now, but but that's not for today's show. We can talk about that in future. Um, hey, listen, every Friday, and this, this one's going to take a while. This edition of the flamethrower is going to take a while because uh, after our conversation with Alberta Premier Daniel Smith in studio, you had a lot to say. And so we're going to give you the floor here. And these are the vetted ones, okay? But when the people speak, we listen. So Real Talkers here, we're asking you to bring the heat. We want to hear it. All right, presented by our friends at the DQs of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, this is The Flamethrower. Anna wrote in, and I love this. She says, Ryan, I didn't know who to send my thoughts to except to you. Hey, that means a lot, Anne. I appreciate it. She says, I want the Premier to know that I understand where she's coming from with all of her pronouncements about Alberta being, you know, special and needing fair treatment, but I don't agree one bit. She says, uh, that totally sickens me because I always thought that there were, like, sacrifices that had to be made to be part of a great country, and I hate that my tax dollars are being spent to spew misinformation about having, like, power blackouts. She said that's not a government thing. That's a power company thing. Uh, She says, and spewing misinformation to all of Canada that, that Alberta is like the loan revenue source for the country and that taking our province out of the pension plan will somehow be better for, for us. It won't in the long run. It's simply going to weaken Canada. Talk about creating animosity toward Alberta across the entire nation. Or are we just trying to let people know how rednecked we really are? Are we being set up to separate from Canada and become our own little fiefdom? I don't think that's a great idea. I think it's time for the Premier to get out of the pocket of the Alberta First people and understand that everybody gives up a little to 
to be able to be part of something far bigger. That from Anne. This one from Jennifer, who says, I was alarmed to hear on Real Talk that the Premier's considering the idea of, of not helping students obtain high school diplomas. She seems to have no understanding of what's happening to help the poor students who sit lost at desks, as she put it. There's already a program where high school students can start and work and obtain credit towards a future apprenticeship career. There's also many levels of high school courses and other trade courses for kids. It's well documented that kids with high school diplomas have higher incomes, more job opportunities, and higher health and wellness. Those that do not complete high school, well, that's not their story. Is this the government's plan to pay less for education to get young kids working sooner? Like kids in grade 10 are like 15, 16 years of age. I'm not sure kids at that age should make decisions like dropping out of high school early. I mean, is this the new age of majority? I hope the government remembers that if they try to pass other legislation around kids making choices. She says, your interview with the premier was okay, Ryan, but this education bit was just bizarre that from jennifer thanks jennifer we appreciate you taking the time alex says after listening to jespo and premier smith i heard that clip of the front throne speech where it was like albertans are tired of open air drug use in tent cities or something like that my immediate reaction was like okay if they admit that open air drug use is a problem why have they closed supervised consumption sites in calgary and lethbridge i think those were done under the kenny administration alex is right says but still does the government plan to open more sites or at least replace the closed ones right like I heard more police officers mentioned as a solution in the throne speech, but nothing about consumption sites. Do they have a reason why they think more police officers will reduce open air drug use better than supervised consumption sites would? Alex will let that question ruminate. We'll let it percolate. This one from David who says, why doesn't the premier provide the names of industry experts she references in defense of her position on the net zero grid? Like why don't they reference published works or the results of applied experience? Because these anti-progress statements about renewables and battery storage are canned alt-right talking points from the U.S. He says this plan, the Alberta government's plan, is to give more of our money to oil and gas and energy companies. That from David. Carol writes in and says, I've worked most of my life and contributed to my CPP, in all caps, to help supplement my retirement, all caps. Why does the UCP feel they have the right to take my money and gamble it with an Alberta pension plan? That from Carol. Deborah wrote in, earmuffs, kids, and says, I am so, I'm going to read it word for word, I am so fucking tired of the fucking commercials about the APP and the fucking mailouts, and I'm so tired of this shit. I will never support anything to do with this shit. I was willing to listen to a responsible discussion, but with all this shit, they can stuff it. Not from Deborah. Have we mentioned the Dairy Queen stuff burger? No, I, okay. Uh, <laughs> Brad writes in to say, the take that the Premier has on grade 11 and 12 on Real Talk is deplorable. There's more to school than prep for university. What about letting 16 and 17-year-olds still be kids? It's really close. It feels like creating child labor. I mean, she evokes the mental health of teenagers to support this. How about the UCP simply doesn't cut funding to public schools? What about counseling in schools? How disgusting is it to encourage kids if the system fails, just quit rather than take action to improve the the system. I mean, I know university isn't for everyone, says Brad, but give me a break. He says, this is why conservatism will never be palatable to me. That from 
Brad. Brian says, once again, our premier is showing how out of touch the government is. Talking about changing the education system to push kids into the trades. We have a program. It's called the Registered Apprenticeship Program, the RAP program. It's been around for years. Students get hours credited towards their apprenticeship and they get a high school diploma. They don't get railroaded out of high school after grade 10, right? The RAP program is a fantastic option for those who choose it, but it should not be forced upon kids. I don't think he was forcing it, Brian, but still, he says if they truly want to have more of our students choose trades, they should fund shop classes and other skills classes with more dough. That from Brian. And this from Norm. Norm felt like he was misrepresented in an email that I read to the Premier. Remember that one about Margaret Thatcher, about how referendums were the tools of, of dictators and demigods? Well, Norm says, I just wanted to follow up. Here on Real Talk, we always want to make sure we respect that. He says, I was not suggesting that the Premier call a snap election six months after the last one. I was saying she should campaign on an Alberta pension plan next election. And then if she wins, go ahead. What's the hurry? A referendum on the Olympics or daylight savings time is a little bit different than an Alberta a pension plan, right? He says, in relevance, this is probably next to the question around separating from Canada. He says, I've seen political procedure, you know, campaign on it, have a referendum, you know, just a question like how many people participated in the fair deal panel? Is it 300,000, 30,000, 3,000? He says 12,000 people participated in those phone-in consults. I think they got through like 17 calls. The rest of the people just heard government propaganda. The premier has left herself many off-ramps to escape political consequences. That from Norm. The flamethrower is proudly presented by our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. That's Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. When you head there in-store or through the drive-thru, you let them know. Real Talk sent you. Thanks for being a part of this week's shows, friends. Have an amazing weekend, and we'll see you right back here on Monday. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepherd, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Randy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola. Catherine O'Neill and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.